Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Hey, good morning, you guys. Welcome to the Sunday after Easter. Good to see you guys here. Good to see your faces. Um, Last week was really amazing. I just wanted to share, like, personally, um, I invited some friends to be here. And you know when you invite friends to church and it's like, are they going to like it? Like, is anyone going to say anything weird to them? You know what I mean? And uh, I invited some friends and they came and were just so blessed and so received. So thank you for for that. Um, And they just, uh, yeah, they just really enjoyed their experience and enjoyed worshiping with us. even though they hadn't been to church, uh, maybe ever, I don't know. So, um, yeah, it was a really good Sunday just celebrating together and being together and uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but we're not done. We're going to keep going. We're actually um, in a series that kicked off on Sunday. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, but I want to tell you this story that happened a couple years ago. Do you remember a couple years ago when, like, the whole West Coast was on fire? Do you remember that? You're like, which time, right? Actually, uh, it's been a bunch. But the, in particular, like the Pacific Northwest, my parents live in central Oregon. There's fires all over. There's fires in Washington. I think that was one of the biggest fires, most acreage that has ever burned in Washington in recorded history. There was fires all over California. Well, during that time, um, uh, Amy and I were, we were, uh, we'd been in our house for a, about a year and a half or so, and we started remodeling the downstairs of our house, and it quickly like got totally out of control. <laughs> and uh, it became this huge mess. We tore up all the floors. Then we tore out the kitchen. And it was just like, it was, it was crazy. And uh, I was just going for it night and day, working on this thing. And uh, Amy and her wisdom said, hey, maybe it'd be better if I took the kids and like went up to your parents and just stayed with them in Oregon for a little while. And you can just like, you know, focus and do this. So she did. She took the kids and she went up to Oregon. And I just stayed and like worked like a beast, you know, 16 hours a day. You know, I was off of Taqueria Viarta and frozen pizzas, you know, and, um, and working real hard. And uh, a few weeks into it, Amy calls and says, hey, why don't you take a break? Tickets are real cheap right now. We'll just fly you up just for the weekend. You can see the kids and then go back. And I said, that's a great idea. I could use a break. I'm kind of fried. And so she buys me this ticket and sends it to me. And I barely glance at it just like as I'm boarding the plane. I get to San Jose. I look at it. I'm like, Okay, it says, because they live in Sisters, which is near Bend and, and Redmond. There's a little airport in Redmond, Oregon. And so I look at the ticket and I go, okay, San Jose to Phoenix to Redmond. And I was like, Phoenix? I was like, oh, oh, there's a Phoenix, Oregon uh, near Medford on the, on the west side of Oregon. And there is a little airport there. And I thought, I've never flown in there, but whatever. F- fires, you know, whatever. So I get on the plane and I'm just so just zonked out, tired, you know, I'm on the plane, I'm resting, I'm trying to read, and I sleep, and we land, and we get off, and I, um, I grab my bag, and pretty quickly I'm like, man, this airport is enormous for Phoenix, Oregon, you know, this is like, I did not know, I was thinking like this little podunk thing, you know, and, I'm, and I walk from the place that I was to the place where I'm supposed to be going, and, I, and as I'm walking up, there's a crowd, and already people are yelling, like, this is not good, like, I can hear people going, this is ridiculous. You can't do this to us, you know. And I get to the front of the line. I'm like, I just want to go to, you know, Redmond. And they're like, yeah, all flights everywhere are canceled. The fires are out of control. You're just going to have to stay here. And I call Amy. I'm like, 
I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't get on a plane. All the flights are canceled. And she goes, well, how, okay, where are you? I'm like, well, I'm in Phoenix, Oregon. And I'm looking on the map. I'm like, I think you could just drive here and come get me, right? I, I, it's not that far. And while I'm having this conversation, I'm leaning on this glass case with this petrified piece of uh, cactus, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm leaning on, the, I'm looking at this dumb cactus. I'm like, I think you could just drive here. I mean, I don't want to stay in a hotel in Phoenix, Oregon, you know? And she goes, well, are you sure? She, she gets off the phone for a second and then gets back on. She goes, your dad thinks you might be in Arizona. I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm in Phoenix, Oregon. Just get in the car. You can come get me. And I'm looking up on the wall, and there's this sign for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm like, I'm no sports fan, but I don't think Phoenix, Oregon has a major basketball player. And all of a sudden, I'm like, babe, I'm in Arizona right now. You're not driving to come get me. You know, it was like, have you ever had one of these moments where just a light bulb just goes off, and you're like, oh, I'm a dum-dum. Like, you know, like, you know, and it's not, I'm not a dumb person. It's just that, like, I was ignoring all of the evidence because I was just focused on, I just want to get there. I'm so tired, right? And we're gonna, what we're going to do today is we're going to explore a moment, uh, a situation, like the light bulb kind of moment that the disciples had after the resurrection. Um, it's a really cool story. And uh, so this, the idea of this series is called Real Purpose, is we're going to take some, we're going to look at some of the vignettes, the little stories that, that take place in the Gospel of John after the resurrection of Jesus. So if you don't know the story and you weren't here last week, Jesus died. He was crucified. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And last week, we talked about the story where Mary of Magdalene was a witness to a living Jesus that rose from the grave, right? Do you remember the story, right? So that happened. When did that happen? What day did that happen? Sunday morning, right? Sunday morning. This is not their Sabbath. This is just, this is just their Monday morning, right? Monday morning, it's Sunday for them. She witnesses the living Jesus, Right? That's, that happens in the morning. Okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the next thing that happened. Now, if you're reading John, the next thing that happens is it, it, it then uh, goes to Sunday evening, right? where Mary has told the disciples, and then there's a visit from Jesus. But, but what I wanted to do before we do that is jump over to Luke so we can see what happens in the middle of the day on that story, in that story. Okay? Um, so in Luke chapter 24, I'm going to recap what happened last week. It says, this is Luke chapter 24, verse 9. I don't have it up here, but I'm just going to read it real quick to you. It says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to the others. So somewhere along the way, Mary Magdalene, we talked about this last week, Mary ran from the tomb all the way back to the upper room to tell the, the eleven disciples and whoever else was there that she had seen Jesus. So she did a couple of trips back and forth. And somewhere along the way, John doesn't record this, but Luke does, she picked up her squad. Okay? She showed up in force. It says Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and some others. All right? So these are like the women behind the men of the ministry of Jesus. And she, she and her squad, they show up and they tell the 11 about what they had seen, the living Jesus. Right. Now this next sentence is in the Bible. I have to tell you that before I read it, okay? Because it's alarming. It's alarming. This, this is in the Bible. This is what happens next. They show up and they tell the 11 that they had seen uh, Jesus. And it says this. But they, the men, did not believe the women. 
because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I want to stop real quick and just tell you about how Luke was written, okay? So, so Luke was not there in the room, okay? We're reading in John, so John and Matthew are there in the room. They're there. They're our first-person eyewitness testimonies. That's what those Gospels are, okay? Uh, Luke was not there. He came later, okay? He was a Greek, not a Jew. He was saved in the ministry of Paul, and somewhere along the way, he... Uh, so he was an educated man. He, had, he came from money. He was a doctor. He could write, and he said, I'm going to write an account of these, the, the, the teachings of Jesus, the stories about Jesus, his early followers, and the early church. And if you read Luke and then Acts, the two books that he wrote, somewhere in the middle of Acts, it goes from past tense, okay, uh, past tense to present tense, and, he, and it turns into a travel journal of him traveling with Paul. It's really fascinating. You should check it out. But... In the Gospel of Luke, the, these are, are eyewitness accounts that he went... How did he get these? He interviewed people. He went and interviewed people. He asked questions. Um, and this was a major undertaking. A lot of people will say this. They'll say, Paul wrote over half the New Testament. Not true. Luke wrote 27% of the content of the New Testament just in these two books. Paul wrote only 23%. Missed it by 4%, Paul. Missed it. So he, he wrote the bulk of the, the New Testament here, and, and he did it by asking questions. So he went, so I want you to imagine, just for a second, okay? Remember what we just read. They didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So there was a moment where Luke sat down with Peter and with Andrew and with John, not James, he was already dead by then, and with Bartholomew and Nathaniel and others, and he sat there and he goes, okay, guys, so tell me what happened next. Tell me what happened next. How did you first hear about the living Jesus? Well, our, uh, our, our women came and told us. Who was there? Well, Mary and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, right? Oh, I, I've heard about these women. These were powerful. These are like strong, powerful leaders in your movement with, with, with great authority and, and, and honor, right? I mean, so that you must have believed them. Uh, well... Uh, I mean, these are the women that supported the ministry financially and still do to this day, right? I mean, they made it possible for three years for you to just walk with Jesus and, and not have to worry about where you're going to stay or eat. They financially support. These are the same women, right? Th those are the ones. Yep. Yep. So what happened when they came and told you about the living Jesus? Did you believe them right away? Well, uh, not at first, actually. Uh, not at first. Um, this, is, this is what happened, right? This is the story. Now, so... So they tell the story, they don't believe them. And then what happens in John is that it immediately switches to the, the evening. But something happens in the middle that I want to share with you that only takes place in Luke, okay? So this is in Luke chapter 24, and it says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, okay? So the, the story takes a detour outside of the things that were happening in Jerusalem, okay? Now, Seven miles, uh, your average uh, adult human can do seven, a seven-mile walk in about two and a half hours, two hours, 20 minutes maybe. Let's be generous and say these are first-century people. They walked everywhere. There was no cars. So let's say they can do it in two hours. So this is a two-hour walk. Just file that detail away for just a, just a second, okay? So these, these two disciples, they're walking to Emmaus, about a two-hour walk. They were walking with each other. And, about everything, and talking about everything that happened. By the way, I don't have this passage up here, and that's purposeful. I just wanted to kind of read this story so you could hear it. We'll look at a passage a little more closely together in just a minute. 
They're talking with each other and about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That's pretty wild, huh? They're just walking along, and here comes this guy. He steps up, and they just don't know. Like, like I didn't see that I was in Phoenix, Arizona. They don't see that it's Jesus walking with them, right? And here's the wild thing. About, remember how Luke is written. These two guys later on had to tell this story. So you were, you were walking with Jesus, but you didn't know it was him? Yeah, we, we, we didn't. We didn't know. We didn't. Uh, we didn't know it was him. They, they they're walking along together and they don't recognize him. And Jesus asked them, "What are you talking about? What are you discussing as you walk along?" It's a good question. They stood still, their face downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, okay, asked him, "Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? Like, don't you know what has happened?" "What things?" he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Listen to this. Listen to what they say to Jesus. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Three years in, crucifixion, resurrection, here's Jesus. And he's like, really, guys? so you're still on this track where you're thinking, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to arm ourselves and go and overthrow Rome, even though I've been talking about exactly the opposite for three years, right? They said, that we'd hoped that this was going to happen. And what is more, they say, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, oh, here we go, here we go. In addition, some of our women amazed us. <laughs> They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was empty, just like they said, but they didn't see Jesus. So they didn't, they didn't believe. This is the first day of Christianity. Okay, if you don't count the thief on the cross, this is the first day of Christianity. And already it's off to not a good start. Okay, you have... Uh, flailing, misogynist men, right? Women who are just trying to tell their story and not being listened to. You have stolen body theories going around, right? You have maybe Jesus is a ghost kind of theories going around. You have some of his guys going, we just, we hoped that we were going to overthrow Rome and just like, you know, a big military movement. Really? Really? It just like, you know, I just feel like Seinfeld, you know, really guys? Really? And he said to them, and so we can, we can be a little bit understanding of Jesus if he's feeling just a, just a scotch of frustration when he says, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? There's a way in which this had to take place, he's saying. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, do you ever play this game in your head? Like, if I could go, if I could travel back in time and visit any time in the Bible, any moment in history, do you ever play this game? You think, you probably, you could probably think of something like, oh, I would love to be here. This is, this is my moment. If I had to pick a moment, like a two-hour walk with, with Jesus, where he explains from Genesis to Malachi how the story was all about him all along. Come on, that's amazing, right? I wish I could have been the third guy there. He says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning themselves. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. 
where is he going? I don't know. Where is he? Where is he off to? Jesus is like, all right, see you, fellas. And they urged him strong, no, no, stay with us. Stay with us. For It's almost evening now. It's actually the middle of the afternoon, but it's almost evening. The day is almost over. So he went in with them. Check this out. He sits down at the table with them and says, and he took bread and he gave thanks. Does that sound familiar? He took bread and he gave thanks. Do you remember what happened just three nights before? He gathered his friends in a room at a table and he took bread and he gave thanks. This is what he does. This is what Jesus does. He returns us back to the start. He brings us back to the start. When we wander, he gently draws us back to the beginning. You know, when I was reading these passages this week and I was just struck by these stories again and again, I began to pray for this moment right here as I'm speaking. I began to pray like, Lord, what do you have for me and for the people in this room? And I felt like the Lord kind of stirred something in my heart to share, which is this, that that perhaps there's someone here today that might need to allow Jesus to bring you back to where it began. You know, maybe somewhere in your journey you found yourself and you're, you're a long way from your Jerusalem. You're a long way from where it started. And you have the best of intentions, but your journey has, has, has wandered and, and Jesus is calling to you gently, let's sit down, let's break bread, let's begin again. Let's start again. You know, and maybe, maybe Jesus, you know, if you looked up and you had, you know, you allowed the Holy Spirit to do in you kind of a, a light bulb moment, you'd realize Jesus has been walking alongside you the whole time. You just simply lost track of what it means to hear his voice and to recognize it. And if that's the case, if that's you, if that's me, let's open our hearts today, like Savannah was talking about in worship, let's open our hearts to the possibility that he has a moment like that for us today where he's going to take, it, take us back to the beginning. Amen? So he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And look, look what happens. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. It takes going back to the beginning sometimes to really see Jesus again. And then immediately he disappeared from their sight. That's... That's wild. Can you imagine? What if he was like handing the bread? He's like, here you go. And then just boop. And the bread, you know, like, oh my gosh. Okay. He disappears from their sight and they ask each other. I love this question. Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I think for many of us, if we, if we can point back to the beginning of our journey with Jesus, we would say that. I remember a time when my heart burned within me when I heard the words of Jesus. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So remember how long we said that would take? How long would that take? Two hours. Two more hours, which would put them right around nightfall, right? There they found the 11, and those with them, who are the those? Yeah, yep. The 11 and the women assembled together and sang, it's true. The Lord has appeared. <laughs> Listen to what they say. This is, oh, this is so bad. The Lord has risen, and he's appeared to Simon, and he told us. So now we believe. And the women are like, really? Are you, are you serious? Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Okay, now this story goes on in Luke, but what we're going to do is we're going to finish by jumping back over to John. So this is the moment. Remember I said that what John has the morning with Mary Magdalene and then it immediately goes to the evening, right? So we're going to jump back into that moment. And this is where we're going to wrap up this story, okay? So think about this. This is the light bulb moment for these early followers of Jesus. This is where the light comes on, okay? Let's put this scripture up on the screen. This is John chapter 20, verse 19. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, it's just a couple of verses. This is 19 through 23, John chapter 20. We're just going to read through this together and then finish our time together. It says this. On the evening of that first day of the week, so we're still in Sunday. This is still Easter, you guys. They don't know it. They're not like, hey, let's hide some eggs, <laughs> you know, for the kids, you know. They don't know it. But this is still Easter. It's the same day, okay? On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, check this part out, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. This, the doors are locked. So, so think about the order of events now that you know because we shared it from, from Luke, okay? Mary and the women have seen Jesus. Somewhere during the day, apparently Simon had a vision, so he knows, then these two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus come back, and they tell them too, and the doors are still locked. This is where Jesus meets us. He comes into the places where we are. You know, we serve an absolutely marvelous God, but maybe one of the most marvelous things about him is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. He comes to where we are, whether it's in uh, an ivory tower in the sky, or if our bedroll is underneath an overpass, he comes to where we are and meets us in that place. He meets us in rooms where the doors are locked because of fear and because of doubt. That's amazing, isn't it? That the God of the universe comes and finds us where we are. He finds us in our imperfect moments. And this is, I mean, Here's the deal. We know the end of the story. If you've read the Bible, you, you know the end of the story, and it's a glorious end. But the middle is really embarrassing. That's why I've taken all this time to point out all these embarrassing moments, right? These, these guys are so inept. And here's the deal. At some point, you know, all of, you know, Luke recorded these stories, and he got the truth out of these guys. But John and Matthew, they were there, and they wrote these things down about themselves, right? That's why these stories are so compelling, because if they had invented these things, don't you think they would have made themselves look just a scotch better than that, right? We know the end of the story, and we know it's glorious, but the middle is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And when I, this gives me hope, because when I, I don't, you and I, we don't know the end of our story. We don't know what the end looks like. But when I choose and when you choose to trust the Lord with the end of our story that's not yet here, it releases us from feeling shame and embarrassment about the middle of our story and the ways where we get it wrong, right? Let's do that. Let's, let's trust him with the end of our story. It's not done yet. There's something better coming. So this messy middle, it's okay. It's okay. We can trust him. It's going to get better. All right. Where are we? The doors are locked. There's a bunch of fear, lots of doubt. 
And here's what happens. Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. You know, there's a lot of things about Jesus. When I read these gospel accounts, I often have this thought. I don't know if you think this way. I, th I think this way. I go, man, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done it that way. Thank God that he is God and not me because I would have done it totally different. When I read about these things, I, I'm way more vengeful than Jesus, you know? It, when I read about the patience that he has, I, would just, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. But here in this place, there's a room full of terrified people that are scared, even though they've been given the truth. They've believed crazy stories, and they're scared, and they're all in a locked room and he just appears in the middle of that room and says, peace. I would have done it exactly that way because that's amazing. After he said this, some of them had to go and change their robes. But after he said this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, this is really generous. There's a lot of ways that Jesus could have navigated this situation. A glorified King Jesus, risen from the dead. And yet he stopped and said, it's really me. And here's your evidence. Did he owe them this evidence? No. Should they have just trusted in the things that he said? Yeah. Did he show them anyway? How generous. Now, this is important because next week, Tim is going to talk about Thomas, my favorite character in the Bible. Okay? He gets the privilege of covering Thomas. And this is really an important detail that he did this here and now because Thomas isn't in the room when this happens. Okay? He, he will be next week, but Thomas isn't in the room when this happens. He says, here are my hands and my side, the generosity of our king, as he shows the reason that they have to believe. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So here's our big idea. This is, this, is how, this is the thing that I want us to kind of um, uh, walk away with, which is this, is that Jesus offers us real peace so, that, so that, that we can turn and offer it to others. It's the whole reason. He, brings, he comes into the spaces that we're in. He enters into our place of fear and doubt. And he says, peace be with you. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, the Father has sent me here, and now I am sending you. He meets us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. You see the beauty of that. See, the, the disciples had heard it, they believed it, and now he's sending them to bring this peace to others. It's the first thing he offered in this place. They're in fear and doubt, and the first thing he offers is peace. And this is not, by the way, this is not... You know, when, when we hear the word peace in English, uh, one of the things we probably think about is serenity, right? Like sitting by a mountain stream, there's no one around, you have a good book. This is my version of peace, I, yours might be different, but like there's nobody for a lot, like anywhere there's nobody. Like just 
It's just me. And like I've got a good book in my pocket that I brought with me, and I, maybe I have a fishing pole. Peace, you know, peace. The birds are singing. It's peace. This is not the kind of peace he's talking about. This is not. This, this is a, a Greek word, but it's, it's a stand-in for the real Hebrew word shalom, peace, which means the knitting back together of broken things, the restoration of justice where there's been injustice. When you've had a story to tell and people didn't believe you, this is the restoration of that moment. This is the redeeming of broken places. When Jesus says peace, it's healing for our story. It's, it's him reminding us, I know the end of your The middle of it is messy, but trust me for the end. That's the kind of shalom he's, he's bringing into us and then sending us out with, right? Paul talks about this in Romans when he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, through faith, we've been brought into right relationship with God, we have peace, shalom, with God through our Lord Jesus. We now have peace with God. There's peace between us and God. It's a good thing. How about the ending of that line in John? Was that, is that strange to you when he said, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Strange, right? But think about what he's, what he's really saying. Is it, is it up to us to forgive people's sins? No. See, here's, here's the misunderstanding that has developed in 2,000 years since this moment, is that church is a special place you go to watch special people do special things. Right? That's the misunderstanding. But it's not that. This is the calling of all believers all believers, you, me, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, this is our purpose together. Paul talks about in Romans, he says, he asks this question, how then can they, this is people that don't know yet Jesus, don't, don't yet know Jesus, how can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? unless they are sent, right? As it is written, check it out, Paul quotes from Isaiah, beautiful poetry of Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You have beautiful feet. Now use them. Go bring the good news, the peace of Jesus to the people. We are his ambassadors. We're the delivery system for the peace and God's forgiveness in this world, wherever, wherever we step, wherever you put your foot, I want you to picture this in your mind, wherever you put your foot, we're bringing the beautiful poetry of peace back to his garden, wherever you go. So here's how I was thinking we could respond to this, because this, this, this is an amazing story, and there's a lot here for us, but I thought it would be good if we took a moment and just responded to it. Here's how I thought we could respond. I think what God wants us to do is, is place ourselves in the same place as these disciples, to think about the place of fear and doubt that we have in our own life that might keep us from stepping out and bringing peace and forgiveness to the world around us. To think about that. And then to picture the places that, if you're a follower of Jesus, your heart has been stirred. It's been stirred. And you know it. And you, you think about places in which you can see the need 
for the peace and forgiveness of Jesus in your daily life, when you think about your workplace, when you think about your family, your extended relationships? Am I wrong? Can you think of places that need the peace and forgiveness of Jesus? How's it going to get there? Now let's think about those places and let's think about where we are. How are we going to cross that divide? In our own strength? No. Remember what Jesus did? It said, he said, peace be with you, and then he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down through those first followers of Jesus is living in you right now. So let's engage with that Holy Spirit. Let's let it empower us and motivate us to move into those places. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.